Go, to, go ahead and get started. Let me open us up in a word of prayer. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks um, for this word um, from your word. This word from your word. We pray that as we listen to it, that you would uh, aid us and that you would speak to us so that we can respond faithfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we have been talking about race and Christianity for the... Well, we just started last week. So for two weeks now. Um, but I just really wanted... Really quickly, I wanted to give a quick review. Just a quick review. So last week we just were laying a really basic foundation of saying that racism is bad and multi-ethnicity is good. That's essential. And if you guys want to <laughs> see why that's biblical, then you can uh, check out the teaching. It's online. Um, but for this week, I think a lot of us, again, like we would... Yeah, we might agree with that passively, but that doesn't necessarily motivate us to uh, pursue multi-ethnicity. That doesn't uh, motivate us to actively and intentionally take steps toward multi-ethnicity. So today we want to talk a little bit more about the practical, um, why we should seek, actively seek multi-ethnicity and how we can actively seek multi-ethnicity. So we'll start with the why. Uh, Arnold, do you want to read that first uh, Genesis and Matthew that passage? Uh, Genesis twelve. Now the Lord said to Abraham, "Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse." And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen 18-20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Great, thanks. Um, so yeah, the first reason we, the header says is uh, for God. God loves the nations. God is a God who doesn't just want to bless the socks off of one race. <laughs> but that he, uh, that even from the beginning when he called Abram that it was a way to bless all the nations around him that it wasn't just a way to bless Abram and his lineage but that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed uh, that even in the from the Great Commission and Acts we see that constantly uh, the church is crossing cultures that constantly we're not called to just be an ethnocentric group but that because God loves the nation and God wants to bless all the families of the earth we want to, partly out of obedience, but also partly because uh, we want to honor the things that God honors. We want to be a part of the things that God um, has a heart for. So, <coughs> any questions about why God <laughs> might love the nations? No. All right. Uh, let's go to the next, next part. This is, I think, the one that has motivated me the most. Nan, you want to read the passage from 1 Corinthians? <coughs> the body is one, it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so does with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. But the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is this, there as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Thank you. Uh, so I think one of the strongest arguments for why we should seek multi-ethnicity is because different ethnic groups are different from us. And because they're different from us, they help to sharpen us. They help to give us eyes to our blind spots. Um, I think when I talk with people of different ethnicities or even different countries, uh, that's when you get to see like how much of what you believe and how much of how you act is... Uh, cultural, like American cultural norms versus how much of it is biblical Christianity. And when we are only surrounded by people who look like us and talk like us and act like us and you know eat the same food as, as us, we miss out on the great uh, gift that other people can provide to us. We are just, I don't know, in a sense, we're just like, Surrounding ourselves with people who won't challenge us to think differently. We're surrounding ourselves with people who won't challenge us to uh, think about how uh, we act or think about why we do the things that we do. And so just to make this a little bit more practical, I think um, different ethnicities or different cultures bring different gifts to the body. So when I talk and hang out with my Latino brothers and sisters, they have a deep and rich sense of family, community, and the way they celebrate one another, the way they celebrate together, is something that we, as a body, can learn from and grow from. Uh, when we hang out with Asians and the way that they serve quietly and you know they like to pray silently, you know, in their closets, I think that teaches us something about service and humility. Uh, I think when we get to see, uh, interact with our black brothers and sisters, the way they worship exuberantly, the way they um, yeah, exhort one another powerfully, is something that we as a body could use more of. And again, when we strip ourselves of that, when we isolate ourselves and just keep to our own race or keep to people who um, make us feel comfortable, I think we miss out on so much of what other ethnicities can offer to us. Any questions or comments about this? I think... Okay. Yeah, Sean. I know a lot of churches have a value that Sunday morning looks blended, but then how do you kind of blend cultures in kind of the Monday to Saturday, like small group or hanging out? Like, is that harder? Or, or what do you think is the trick for that? Um, well... <coughs> Ask that question a little bit later when we talk about the practical how we can act, uh, actively right, cool. seek it. That, that's a very good and important question. Yeah, because we don't want to just like, I don't know, I think like multi-ethnicity in the past couple of years has been like this like new buzzword. 
And so, you know, if you go on like college websites, like everybody, all the colleges want to be like, oh, we're diverse. And then they take pictures of like... You know, One of each lineup. Yeah. And then there's like a handicapped person. And the, you know, like there's like... Um, and then, you know, they don't really interact <laughs> regularly. But it's kind of like, yeah, on Sunday, we don't want to just like look diverse. But we want to actually embrace the values and internalize it for ourselves. Any other questions or comments about how multi-ethnicity is a source of blessing for ourselves? No, I think. <laughs> not, not, I'm, not try, I'm not picking on you, but I'm just saying, like, we, we, de- we do tend to draw those lines and say these people tend to be like this and these people tend to be like this. And I think the more we get to know each other, the more we might find out that some of our preconceived notions might actually not be true. You know, even about our own, you know, type yeah. of people. Cause, you know, you said know. Asian, but that's. Is that too broad? <laughs> no, uh, well, again, like. So I didn't want to like. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not picking. I'm sorry, not really I picking. I'm <laughs> we can tend to have these lines that we draw yeah. and say these people are like this and these people are like this, and that's positive. But it's like I might have some really quiet, unassuming black friends that right, right. aren't like super expressive. So. So yeah, there's a difference between like I understand like the difference between like stereotyping and labeling versus um, like gifts that an ethnicity can bring, yeah. and so we want to be careful as possible. But I think um, I, I lived with a white family for a year, and I was so blessed by the way that, like, in my culture, we sp- try to speak, like, really indirectly and kind of, like, softly. But when I, hang out, when I was living with this white couple, um, the way that they spoke bluntly and straightforward, it was, like, very, like, weird. <laughs> but um, I think I grew a lot from it um, in terms of, like, being assertive, in terms of... Uh, learning how to communicate effectively and directly instead of like trying to like I don't know weave around like assuming that people understand my indirect communication and so for sure there are lots of uh, gifts and strengths of course um, I wasn't really picking that you <laughs> <laughs> no um it's it, so the so the place I work with in 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 intervarsity multi ethnicity is something that comes up a lot and. It's uh, unfortunate, but a lot of white students, um, especially, struggle with a sense of identity uh, because so much because sometimes they're seen as like the oppressors, or sometimes they they're seen as like um, they carry the baggage of their ancestors, uh, ancestral sins, and so um, a lot of white students struggle deeply with feeling um, ashamed of their culture, and we don't want to just like only celebrate other cultures. And so there's lots of um, resources also about, um, you know, what is white culture? Is it just like this mis- mis- mishmash? Or is there more to it? You know, has God also given uh, our white brothers and sisters lots of gifts to bless the body with? And so, um, yeah. Thank, th- thank you. Is there a book for that? Yeah, it's um, there's one called Being White by <laughs> Doug Shout. <laughs> 
don't think I'll forget that. <laughs> Being white by Doug Shop. It's uh, an IVP. So if you guys ever are interested, I can I get discounts on IVP. So uh, talk to me. Um, but yeah, we want to recognize the differences that people have. Uh, we want to recognize the 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 ways that they can identify our blind spots, and we want to. Um, open up space and create space for them to speak into those places. Uh, again, if we just surround ourselves with people who look like us and think like us, um, that's a really dangerous place to be. Uh, and unfortunately, that's uh, where a lot of churches and a lot of people have been. Yeah. I, I think, um, I guess on the religious side, I'm not as, you know, not as... Uh, Articulate about it, but I definitely see that a lot of times race lines, and it's not necessarily race lines that are drawn, but socioeconomic lines mm-hmm. that are drawn. So we look at the neighborhoods, and there's lots of communities where, I know the River Shores, these million dollar houses yesterday, right, where my friends live, but it was all Asian and all Caucasian. I mean, that's what it was. And so uh, the, the, the aspect of multi ethnicity, I think it, it really kind of starts when you're, when you're young and you're put in those environments where you do interact with other people of other races. And so my I actually think that even among Asians I feel like, you know, it's really drawn based on, you know, what your social economic standing is. Mm-hmm. So there's that there's the race aspect of it, but the, and, I mean the, the religious aspect of it, but there's also a very, very strong, powerful uh, social economic aspect of it. Because like if you went to that you know the church was predominantly Koreans and Asians in Pleasanton, you know, we all know what socioeconomic background po- folks come from. And so I don't think it's so much, there's a difference between a Caucasian family and an Asian family. Granted, your point is correct about the fact that maybe we might be a little more reticent, kind of, you know, be around the corner a little bit. But I actually think that there's, there's it's a multifaceted aspect of, of this, which I think economics plays a huge aspect part of it. Yeah, I think I totally agree that this principle of like wanting to surround ourselves with people who are different from us aren't isn't just limited to ethnicities, but across uh, econo- socioeconomic lines. And I think that um, Pastor Michael did a two-week series on uh, Mercy Ministry a couple months ago, and that was like really good. So check that out too. But then he talks about like um, yeah, in his experience in like West Oak, living in I don't know Oakland. Yeah, when he goes to like the Whole Foods or if you go to like a Panera Bread, it's a lot of Asians and white people. Um, but when you go to like the other places, uh, like there's like a like a Save Mart or something. I don't know, but Safeway. Uh, Safeway, yeah. <coughs> you see a little bit more. Uh, yeah, it's really smart. Like, there's two supermarkets close to us, relatively speaking. An expensive one with. Uh, organic and really fresh produce, and then a really crappy one, but cheaper. The crappy one, the clientele is 80% black, and then the really yuppie organic one is like 80% white, and so, and then 20% Asian. So it's really, it's like, it's like segregated supermarkets, you know? <laughs> Someone's expected to say whites only. Well, all of it is just money. Just it's like, money, yeah. It's basically money. We yeah. go to, uh, primarily, we go to grocery outlet. That's where we shop. Yeah. And it's probably 85% black also. And, yeah. You know, it's money and transportation because um, I, I see a lot of the clients at the Safeway. They come via public transportation, yeah. 
And then the, 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 the really fancy supermarket is like kind of hidden and there's no like buses that lead to it. Yes, I put product in this guy today. <laughs> I just wanted to see. So you have to park your beamer across two spots. <laughs> I think going along those lines, uh, Caroline, I think that's a great point that you bring up. Uh, one of the like working at Cal State East Bay, I have been working a lot more with students who live in poverty um, than when I was at a UC. You know, students living off of our parents' money, uh, and. <laughs> and I think, yeah, it's just the reality of poverty when you interact with them and you see how they lived on a daily basis, uh, it just becomes so much more real. And I've grown and I've um, yeah, seen a little bit more of my own blind spots about how it's not just statistics about, like, you know, some third world country living on less than $1 a day, but that. Uh, it's a everyday reality that there are students who have to be the breadwinners for their family, and um, and I think yeah, we do ourselves a disservice when we isolate ourselves um, along ethnicity lines or along socioeconomic lines. Um, great. So yeah, so again, we talked about. Um, why this one? Uh, why we should actively seek multi-ethnicity because of God and His heart for the nations. Um, number two, for us and how we need people who are different from us. But thirdly, also because it is a powerful witness. Carolyn, you want to read that uh, paragraph from John? John, uh, under number three. you guys probably know that John 17 is like the high priestly prayer, the last prayer that Jesus prays for the disciples. Um, and then in it, like, you know, he could have said like, oh yeah, you know, let them become like these super apostles and like super cool and you know, spiritual gifts, like, you know, flying out of their fingertips. Uh, and yet, instead of that, Jesus prays that they would be united. Uh, and that be- and as the world sees their unity, uh, that they would come to believe in Jesus. And I think yeah, the world is not impressed when we get along with people who are like us. Um, and Jesus, even in, I think, uh, Luke somewhere, when he's preaching, uh, he says, yeah, uh, you know, even the Gentiles love their neighbors. Even the Gentiles love the people who will pay them back or all these other good things. But uh, the church is called to be... You know, different. The church is called to be able to love people who are different from us. Um, I think 
you know, when when we're just hanging out with people who are who look like us, you know, that's no different from all the uh, fraternities or uh, ethnic clubs on campuses. That's no different from you know when we're living in the suburbs with our own race and socioeconomic class. And so I think this is a powerful, powerful witness. Um, I think uh, I remember. I think it was Pastor Michael. I'm not sure. I don't want to quote him, but uh, don't quote me on this. Okay, uh, but even in the early church, when when people, uh, I think it was in the Corinthian church, when rich people and poor people would get together and fellowship at the same table, uh, that spoke volumes to the people around them. And it, it says in Acts that like people respected them, and because they feared them, feared the church, they wouldn't even join the church. You know, like, uh, and again, this this idea that uh, being united is such a powerful witness I think the operative word in this passage is obviously one but the way that Jesus wants that to happen is through glory and I think a lot of you know if we want to stay singly ethnic or whatever or economic it's kind of like we don't want to dilute our glory like our group we're going to be tight we don't want to give let any outsiders in because that might mess up what we have going on and Jesus says Hey, I want to interrupt what we have going on. I want to bring other people into it. And so Jesus isn't stingy with glory. He wants to get it on other people. So maybe that kind of points us to, hey, I don't want to get, kind of admit, I don't have all the glory myself, that God might be more glorified if I hang out with these people, or they might teach me something, or they might show me something about God. So if we just kind of self-contained units, we're not going to be, thinking that God could give us something more than we already experienced. That's kind of what Jesus is saying is they haven't experienced the glory and that's why I want them to to get it. I think as a church too, not because we're not talking about our church, but that that church, like we tend to uh, want to keep things under control and keep things predictable. And you know, when when you let let things blow out like that, you know well, your categories like that, it can be a little messier, you know, and you can have more misunderstandings and things like that. And, uh, but that's all the more opportunity for grace and growth. So, you know, you have to be not afraid of um, the messiness, I guess, that we're the, that multi-ethnicity <coughs> involved. Yeah, it involves a lot of messiness. <clears throat> the more real and raw you get with one another, um, but yeah, I lo- yeah, I really like that idea, Sean. The idea that like um, sometimes we are li- tempted to just like seek our own glory or the glory of our race or the glory of people who look like us. Uh, our idea- yeah, yeah. <laughs> denomination. Go PC. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the idea that maybe God's glory is a little bit better than ours. Yeah. And so maybe we should. (laughs) It's a little bit so that we should seek His glory and not our own. All right, cool. Um, The fourth one uh, is the idea that we want to respond faithfully to the gospel. Danny, can you read that chapter, that paragraph from Galatians? Galatians two eleven fourteen. Yeah, yeah. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. And when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by hypocrisy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Before all them, if you, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so this is a really basic point, but I thought it was important. Um, Sean talked about it in his uh, Peacemaker series, so I wanted to steal this principle too. But the idea that like the gospel isn't just something that's limited to you know, this thing that we sing about and hear about on Sundays, but we want our whole lives to become in step with the truth of the gospel. And I think uh, in this specific example, it's, it's related to cross-cultural like relationships with uh, Peter hanging out with uh, the Gentiles and yeah, even though again like we might not we might agree that racism is a bad thing we want to not just passively agree with that but we want to be a church that and a people that actively pursue God's people across culture and across socioeconomic lines and across gender lines um, that's really yeah, I, you know, reading verse eleven, it really impacts me because Paul says they were acting hypocritically. You know, and a lot of times the world accuses Christians of being hypocrites, not being true to what we believe, and that's true. Um, and here Paul's letting us know: you want to know what being a hypocritical Christian is? Is racial segregation? And uh, I think that's really, um, really impactful to me. You know that. Living, um, reaching out across lines, the living line of the gospel. You know? <laughs> I think I've heard this. I'm sure this statistic has been thrown around, but like the idea that like Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America, uh, and just how yeah, it just only adds to people's uh, view of Christianity, Christians being hypocrites. So. We want to <coughs> live faithfully to the gospel. Uh, so, yeah. One twist on this might be even the way we talk about gospel as being, oh, it's all grace and we receive it, it's passive, you can't work for it. Mm-hmm. But then living it out is hard work. And so you're like, well, I shouldn't have to go anywhere where gospel is hard work because the gospel <laughs> is free and costly to Jesus and not for me. But. But here's where, you know, people were literally butting heads over the gospel. So it's not all just like, peace out. It's like, sometimes there's working it out. Yeah. And I can even feel like Sunday morning, it's a day of rest. So it should, I should only <laughs> go to church where it feels really restful and doesn't require work. Or, you know, so that's really a temptation we have to kind of catch our own hearts is living the gospel is a lot of work just because it goes against the grain yeah. of culture and Humanity. Wait, but didn't Paul say Jesus <coughs> suffered so we didn't have to suffer? Well, he said he would full, um, complete the suffering of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and it says that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. It's not a light um, yeah, load. It's not coasting. <sighs> Dang it. <laughs> okay, um, so good stuff. That's a little bit of again why we should seek it, but I think sometimes when we talk about like practically how can we do it, uh, it gets a little bit more muddled. 
And so there's lots of lots of ways, and I am still a novice by all means. Yeah, um, but these are just some things that I think these are some good first steps. So Harry, you want to read the paragraph from Romans? The God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So this is Paul's prayer for the Roman church, the church that was struggling. There was like a lot of battles happening between the Jews and Gentiles. Uh, and he prays for them. As so I think... First of all, like praying for ourselves individually that we would also be able to have like, um, yeah, this heart or these like, this desire to welcome one another, to live in harmony with one another. Not just like a harmony that comes from distancing ourselves, but a harmony that comes as we get to know one another more deeply and intimately. Uh, But also prayer for the church, uh, praying that the church and this uh, IGC and the churches in the East Bay and yeah, even in America that we would really embody these truths that we wouldn't just like give lip service to it but that to a world that is dying and hungry and broken uh, that we would offer <coughs> bread that we would offer truth that we would embody those things and so prayer I think is really key but it also involves obedience dang it <laughs> okay you want to read uh, Acts and just both paragraphs okay. you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except for apostles now those who were scattered went about preaching the word Philip went down to the city of Samaria to proclaim them to the Christ. And a crowd with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down with, from Jerusalem to Gabor. This is the desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So obedience, right? Like the idea that like Christ has commissioned the church, Christ has commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations, to uh, be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria not just in the place that we are comfortable in Jerusalem, but to go to Judea, to go to Samaria, to go to the ends of the earth. Um, And so the question earlier that Sean brought up was, um, is this limited to Sunday morning, you know, having like a diverse looking crowd, or how do we actually embody these things throughout the week? And I think one step is being aware of like who you're hanging out with, and intentionally trying to make at least one friend of another uh, race or culture. I think that's just like one place individually that we can do in order to uh, begin understanding, to begin seeing the differences, and begins uh, having other people speak 
make space right, for them to speak into the places where we might be blind. Um, I think, yeah, individually, that's one thing we could do. Corporately, I'm so glad that we as a church have hired a non-Asian uh, to be our associate pastor. And I think Sean and his family uh, bring added perspective, bring blessings to this body um, that we wouldn't otherwise have if we were just, you know, with more Koreans. Right? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, it totally extends into church planting, too, and like, where will you go? Because like, I like how he says go south and go, you know, he's telling him to go where people are not like you. We, I mean, in our area up there, um, we're not going to name churches, <laughs> even though nobody's probably going to care, but there was a certain Dutch church that uh, there was a group of people that wanted to plant a new church because they were having to drive like 45 minutes an hour to go to church. <clears throat> at this big Dutch church. I mean, they could have gone somewhere closer. But <laughs> anyway, the church talked it over, and they had like six months of, you know, decision-making. And they decided not to plant a church there because there weren't enough Dutch people. It was just like... So they, that group, you know, thankfully they did the right thing and broke off from that denomination, you know, from another mm-hmm. denomination. But I mean, it was just like... Oh, how blind we are, you know, and how unwilling to... Go. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's yeah. really important. And if we want to be really blunt, uh, I mean, we're, our church is in the, you know, kind of in the process or el- elongated process of trying to find a building and trying to find a more permanent location. And I think, uh, yeah, how we, what factors or decisions go into that kind of um, place? Is it just about uh, something that's like, I don't know, the suburbs where we're used to, or do we go into the places where it requires us to be more cross-cultural and cross, uh, I don't know, socio-economical? <coughs> I don't know if that's okay. um, Yeah. As we read this passage, one thing that jumped out is everybody was scattered except the apostles. So it literally meant, like, your first elders of your church could be, like, from an ethnic group that used to oppress you or something like because the gospel spraying basically from the steppes of Russia like kind of white whitish yellowish people so you've got the Ethiopian dude who's a Christian would probably be a leader in his congregation so God was just stirring up it's like how could you listen to a leader with an accent you couldn't understand or a group you didn't like or that you were taught to hate growing up and so it was immediately practical you couldn't just kind of say, well, in 20 years we'll have this multi-ethnic statement from the Gospel Coalition or something. Like they didn't really wait. Or it was like on their the agenda right that week. Because basically, how do I receive God's gifts from these others? You know, um, So it got real practical. Yeah, and it wasn't just like the apostles that went out, right? But it was like the like the slaves, the thousands of merchants, the... The, pe- the traders, the tent makers, the fishers that were going across the known world uh, and preaching the word. Uh, except for Philip, he's cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I agree with everything that's been spoken. I just think that in tactics it's very complicated and much more challenging mm-hmm. at an individual level. I mean, I can see where, for example, if we start to make a proactive effort to meet others who are you know, not of our race, not of our ethnicity. Um, I, I was thinking, like, how would that translate into? The only thing I could think of is, I, I you know, I, I'd, I'd go out and I'd do the volunteer 
work that I used to do. You know, where I'm in a, in, a, in a school in the South Bronx, and all I have are black kids, right? Or I'm in the community center and I'm volunteering, but at the bed, <coughs> it's a sea of Asians and a sea of Caucasians. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've got the couple of blacks, I'm like, sure, I go talk to them, you know? So I think it's, and then there's, I mean, there's been, I think God calls us all to really make a genuine effort. And I believe that it's something we all need to strive for. In practice, it's a lot more challenging. I mean, I will honestly say the only church I've been to that's multi-ethnic is New Life Church in Queens. And that's because that community is surrounded by like 99 different ethnicities. And there's people who are, you know, well-educated, a little bit more yuppie-ish. There's people who have been divorced, you know. There's people who are Latino, black, you know, the whole gamut. And that's only, I guess, true multi-ethnic church. Maybe, maybe Times Square Church, I didn't really visit that much. But all the other churches I've been to, and in, in New York City, where it's kind of like really a melting pot, if you want to call it, there's, there's that, you know. So, I don't know. I mean... I think about like back in the days when you would bus black kids to a white school, right, to do integration. I don't know that that's what it requires, but <laughs> right, and, and, and you don't want to have this level, this like fake level. We want this to be a whole day, so we're gonna, you know, quotas, right? Twenty percent. But I mean, I think part of it is we lost our Latino. Come on, we're taking admission. <laughs> <laughs> It goes both ways because, like, you have to not be afraid to, like, be friends with people and go to their house. That means go to their neighborhood or have them over and not be afraid they're going to steal something or, you know what I mean, or want your stuff or think certain things about you. You know, like, because a lot of times we tend to be protective of our personal space, most of all, right? Like, I don't want people to think this about me and I don't want people to think this about me, so I have people that don't get me, you know, that, but a lot of, a lot of church life really grows in your home, you know, like, around you, you know, that's where you really get to know each other and start being able to get past that, just the Sunday morning kind of surface level, uh, that's what's hard about mercy ministry, because you have to ask yourself is, Sure, I'll serve them on Saturday, but I would I want to hang with them. I want to go back to my safe enclave, you know. So that's kind of where the early church, God kind of blew that apart because they were helping each other, but then they were hanging at the same time. And we have to learn, kind of like you said, the discomfort level. Of not just going to them because, see, I'm not afraid of you because of your color, too. I actually want to call you up and hang out. You know, that's, that's another step for your heart to kind of grow yeah this is totally definitely um, complicated uh, takes a long time requires a lot of patience and humility but I think uh, we're just wanting to say that like we don't want to be okay with being a group just that's ethnocentric or we don't want to just um, yeah be content with being with people that just look like us we want to strive towards this vision of uh, this biblical vision of uh, being multi-ethnic and being not just multi-ethnic in a superficial, shallow sense, but in a way that uh, really embodies the type of community that Christ uh, prayed for His church.
We bring Mexican food to church lunch. <laughs> we hit up the Mexican restaurants. Starter. <laughs> we have Chinese and Hawaiian, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> We're not Mexican, but we really like. <laughs> but we really like Chinese. Oh man. Yeah, if we, if we got Latinos, they might bring. We'll bring it. Good food. Yeah. <laughs> Any other uh, last thoughts or co- questions or comments? If you cook it, they will come. <laughs> <coughs> I would. <laughs> cool. Let me pray for us and then uh, we can go worship. Father, we thank you that you, yeah, that you love your church, that you love your bride, that you are cleansing us and making us spotless. And we pray that you would remove this wart where the church has so often remained insular and trying to stay comfortable and protected. And Father, we pray that you would moving us that you would create in us a desire and a vision to see the body grow across all cultural lines all social economic ties all gender lines uh, so that in all things you would receive the glory the honor and the praise in your name we pray amen